Coming up on Something is About to Happen. Look at three people right now and tell them God is looking for you. You're the one that he has in mind. He doesn't like to run with people who can claim they did it by themselves. Otherwise, that would be works. That would be law. That would be self-effort. He likes to run with people who have no claim to possibility. And that he alone, who they weren't even looking out for, of his own volition, by his own choice, not your making, he chose you that's why all of a sudden you find your situation going from bad to worse and from worse to impossible so the worse your situation gets the closer you are to your laughter but you don't even know it he's setting you up for the absolutely stupendously ridiculous he's put you in an impossible place and makes an impossible promise to you It is empowering to be a recipient of what God has decided to do. And he doesn't tell you everything about what he has decided to do. Never informs you of everything incorporated into his promise. Doesn't tell you when. Doesn't tell you how. Doesn't tell you exactly what is going to happen in the process of getting there. He just tells you, come with me, walk with me. And so this now necessitates that there has to be divine revelation in the midst of your everyday life challenges. Why? Because God wants to meet you where the rubber meets the road. He wants to be involved in the vacillating vicissitudes of your career path. And all the twists and turns, ups and downs, potholes, bumps and twists that you hit along the road to destiny. Wants to be involved with you on your job. Close it down when he feels you're done with that job. Move you to another one and, and keep you alive in the midst of the vacuum in between. He wants to be involved with you in your home. When a fire breaks out or, or there's a challenge with one of the children or a problem with the infrastructure, he wants to be involved with, with your growth and the trouble that comes with growth. He wants to be involved in your disappointments and the blindside swipes that take you from one side and completely shock and awe you to a place of despondency, sometimes distress and despair. Wants to be involved with you in all your relationships and the topsy-turving and turning in relationships. Because as you evolve, uh, you will find the instability of people around you will turn them from lackers to haters and they'll defriend you. He wants to help you deal with all the emotions that beleaguer you in your processes in everyday life. Because he's that kind of God. That's who he is. I must be able to experience God in the inward mental motivation and inspiration of my soul mentally, emotionally, and volitionally so that I can still praise him even when I'm going through an outward hell and a hot fire in, in the plights of my life. Otherwise, I end up merely paying him ritualistic lip service in the concourse of my days, what I call religiosity. Because he's not involved in the intricacy of my day-to-day -day life. 
and it allows him then to challenge you. That with their lips, this people praise me, but their hearts are uninvolved with me. Because we haven't let him in. Like the 11 disciples, but unlike Peter, who wanted him involved and recognized that if he was involved, he was always going to be involved as the revealer and the deliverer. Job had pain. That's why boldly, more so than any other audacity in the scripture, you hear him say, I know my redeemer lives. Because I was finished. I had no basis to keep going forward, but he showed up in the worst kind of plight that a man could suffer and made me the dean of the school of suffering. <laughs> Friend, I therefore propose to you that God cannot be recognized. He can only be revealed. In other words, you can't choose to see him and for him to reveal himself to you. It's not your choice. Even though you get to make the choice, you only made the choice because he manipulated you into a place of desperation where you would need his revelation. So that now you call, but before you called, he had already answered. Look at Jesus, for example. He is the express image of God's person. Bible says by the same writer that he's the brightness of God's glory. In other words, when you see him, you're looking at God. That, that I have to wonder how come the learned Pharisees and the doctors of letters and the scholars of scripture, uh, the book that was written all about him, they missed him when he showed up. They didn't recognize him because he wasn't revealed to them. There must be revelation before there's cognition. They completely miss who he was. Just like I'm amazed at how you can be such an anointed powerhouse for God in whom the fullness of the Godhead bodily lives in Christ who lives in you. And, and you walk amidst people who are not schooled in discernment and they have no idea who you are and just mistreat you. Have you been there before? They have no idea what you're carrying who you're carrying because the anointing and the anointed one are never recognized but only revealed what I'm trying to say to you is that there can be something going on behind the scenes in your situation and and you don't know it because all you see is what the sense realm allows your five senses to perceive so all hell is going on here and you think it is a setback but really it is a setup that creates the right environment for God to show up and reveal himself to you on another level. Have you considered that sometimes your situation is allowed to come to a place of total exasperation where you are exasperated by it? That's why it's sometimes in spite of hearing from God correctly, it goes from worse to worses to completely impossible. Because if it is possible for your doctor to fix it, for your money to fix it, for your common sense and wisdom to fix it, God doesn't need to be involved. But he allows you to go from the extremity of the possible to the impossibility of the realm called impossible because that's where he lives. That's his natural habitat. That's where he moves. If you want to see God move, that's where he is. But, but to bring him into involvement in that realm, you must have faith. Now, faith is not something you create. It's something he gives but you must have sustainable attention to him because faith does not come by hearing. It comes by hearing and hearing according to the correct instruction of the gospel. Hallelujah. And that's why, my friends, 
You have to have revelation of what's going on behind the scenes. Because if you don't have it, you're going to walk by sight. You will walk by situation and not by revelation. Now, sight cannot deliver you, except you're in the realm of the possible. But revelation can deliver you from anything as long as God is revealing your deliverance and himself as the deliverer in the matter. Hallelujah. So that because of revelation, you are able to rejoice in the middle of a flabbergasting situation because your rejoicing is not based on what you see in your situation. It is based on the futuristic revelation of the outcome of your future. Because by revelation, I know that even though I'm in a pit now, Joseph, I am going to come out. It doesn't look like it. It doesn't feel like it. I can't see my way up and out. I can't see my way over. I haven't heard how it's going to happen. But in my spirit, not my five senses, God has already revealed to me that I am coming out all right. Who am I preaching to this morning? You're in a hellhole, but you don't look like it because you can dress up on top of that. But deep inside your emotion, the realm of your soul you are almost despondent you're almost about to throw in the towel uh, but I want you to know something that revelation will bring about the processes that grant you deliverance that deliverance is already settled but you will only be able to take it if you can take it because he's never going to let you just earn it or work for it he's going to come all the way up to you put it in his hand and he won't put it in your hand He'll stand right here in front of you and say, if you want it, take it. So you don't work for it, you just take it by faith. So that you receive it because this blessing is not of works. Because if it was of works, it means that you could earn it by your labor. But what God wants to give you is so ridiculously stupendous that all your earning power could never afford to procure it. And that's why it has to be of promise by somebody who is of much more value and capacity than you can imagine. It is a matter of God's riches at Christ's expense. Acronym G-R-A-C-E. So that it is something you receive, not something that you worked for. I don't like blessings that I worked for. That's called compensation. Compensation to me is mediocrity. But, but to me, what I like, because I am a child of promise, I'm a child of God's grace. Everything about me, I didn't earn it. In fact, if you look real close, I don't deserve anything that I have. It's all a matter of God's grace. And so revelation is critical because without revelation, you cannot powerfully overcome your enemy, move gracefully into your tomorrow, and own your destiny. Matthew 16, you'll find that Jesus at a certain point in time accosts his 12 and says to them, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And some of them said, you, they say you are Jeremiah. They reported public opinion or Elias or John the Baptist come back to life or, or one of the prophets. And he said, you've said well. You've reported well what people say. But who do you say that I am? And none of them could say anything but one named Peter. 
The silent majority could not offer a sense of who he was. If, in other words, they were in agreement with the perspective that he was a prophet. But much more than that. But Peter says, why? You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus is astonished and says to him, you didn't get this from man. He said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. What was he saying to him? He says, you cannot make me reveal myself to you. I choose to reveal myself to you by my choice. I choose whom I will. I select exactly who I want to. And normally this is whom I select. The fella that everybody has written off as an underachiever, as a near-do-well, as most likely to fail in life. The fella who's had it so hard and so bad recently that he's been knocked down and we know he's never going to get up. The lady who's had such a terrible, taunting, daunting past that she has no inner resolve to believe that there could be any help from her amongst men let alone with God the fella or the lady who, who's so downcast by antecedent the generations that sired her ancestors were all losers and she was a mistake born and now God in spite of all that's going on in her life he runs up to her and says I know what they're saying about you but come with me I'm taking you somewhere and if you follow me you'll get to where I'm planning to take you you hear what what I'm saying to you friend look at three people right now and tell them God is looking for you tell somebody by text that God is rooting for you you're the one that he has in mind he doesn't like to run with people who can claim they did it by themselves otherwise that would be works that would be law that would be self-effort he likes to run with people who have no claim to possibility and that he alone who they weren't even looking out for of his own volition by his own choice not your making he chose you he went out looking for you that's why all of a sudden you find your situation going from bad to worse and from worse to impossible but impossible is where he likes to operate why 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 does he do that because it's in the impossible that his proposition looks ridiculous and when he makes that ridiculous proposition hey friend you're getting ready to laugh. So the worse your situation gets, the closer you are to your laughter, but you don't even know it. He's setting you up for the absolutely stupendously ridiculous. He's put you in an impossible place and makes an impossible promise to you. He's getting ready to work on it. Who am I preaching to this morning? Can I go a little further? So God has to reveal himself in your situation and he's always a powerfully, sustainably consistent God when he makes his promises to you what he does in the midst of the promise is he is consistent so he reveals himself to you and reveals what he proposes and then you believe and then when you believe it happens and he reveals himself to you the more and you believe some more and then some more happens now you get hooked on him you become addicted to him and you become become somewhat immune to challenges and situations and you begin to sound like Paul these are but light afflictions which work for me a far greater weight of 
endless or eternal glory. If you believe that, help me and tell somebody, glory is coming to my life. Don't count me out now because I'm in a pit or I'm in Potiphar's prison. Don't count me out now because I'm in the backwards renegated to shoveling sheep dung for my father's fold. I feel like the glory is coming because I don't look like I can earn it or get it or deserve it. But I sense a promise in my heart from a God who cannot lie. I don't know if you hear me. Nobody can make God reveal himself to them because always revelation comes into your situation. That's how it comes. He builds the situation and normally his foreman for the job is the devil or one of his hordes. And he is the one now who chooses to invite you into the inner circle of revelation. And revelation is important because it empowers you over your enemy. So that by revelation, God gives you assurance of what he has promised you and what you now have hope for. This means that you have become a dual citizen. By earth nature, you have five senses that make you perceptive of the world around you. Now you have the conundrum because in your world, uh, your five senses, you see nothing but trouble, imminent disaster, the threat of calamity. And in your spirit, you hear God telling you, it's just a backdrop for my glory. You're going to go into this trouble, but I'm going to bring you out into peace and plenty and power. So you have these two connections. And the question is, which one are you going to flow with? If you flow with your five senses, Paul calls you sensual. If you flow with your spirit into whom God is speaking, then God calls you spiritual. And he says, if you are spiritually minded, you will have life. That's not existence. That's the abundant life. That's Christ in you. But if you only go with your senses and they beleaguer you to doubt what God is saying, then you've only been feeding on milk. But if you've been feasting on the word of life and the meat of God's word, uh, your revelation that hits your spirit will find agreement with your well-schooled mind that you have transformational possibility and what the enemy meant for evil, God now has license by your agreement uh, to make it work for your good. Am I talking to somebody yet. So the enemy is shocked that he can't get you to misbehave the way you used to and complain and murmur and express the abundance of your heart which was distress and depression and hurt and pain but instead you're smiling while he expects you to cry. Take me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1 and verse 2, 3 and 4. And James said uh, my brethren, this is in the era of martyrdom. This is in the era of people who are getting killed every day amongst their kith and kin, their friends and their fellowships. He said count it all joy when you fall into different types of trials. Verse 3 knowing that's superior to believing that the trying of your faith it causes you to have patience. What is patience? Patience is that crucible that helps you to keep your faith when God looks like he's delaying your promise. If you don't have patience, your faith will dissipate. So that after four years, you quit with everybody else. When you have patience, you can last 25 like Abraham did. 
In fact, Abraham didn't see the fullness of the promise. He just saw the seed of the promise, Isaac. And so what God does is he calls you. After he calls you, it introduces you to a situation where uh, you, you are willing to leave what you have, even though it's good. Because what he promises you, even though it's only abstract, it, it proposes better than anything you have. And something in your creative instinct says, that's me. That's me. That's me. What God is saying about me, that's me. That's me. And after he has called you, he now makes a promise to you. Then the promise lingers. It doesn't happen. And you get frustrated and say, God, I, I, I need us to go to the law office. I hear your promise. And I think you are very credible, but you must admit that the way things are going now with me, if I'm going to be honest, Father, you're losing your credibility. It was somewhat insulting to God, but God understood. We need to go to the law office. So in Genesis 15, they go to the law office. And this is what happens at the law office. They, he creates a gutter of eight, kills three sanctified animals, their blood bleeds into the gutter. And what is meant to happen is that God, one of the covenant participants, and Abraham, the other covenant participant representing man, are supposed to cut their wrists, shake hands for the intermingling of blood, exchange tokens of covenant, and they are meant to walk through the parted halves in the figure of eight. And as they do so, the covenant is cut. And what they are saying is that what I have promised to do for you, Abraham, if I don't do it, let me become like these animals, dead and bleeding into a gutter. And Abraham felt that because he was the beneficiary of the covenant, that he was going to be part of the two persons required to cut the covenant. And so all day, he's driving away the ravens and the birds that are trying to eat up uh, the parted halves of the animals. And he does all day until he's so tired, he falls asleep exactly where God needed him. Because even though he was to be the beneficiary of the covenant, he would not be the one with whom God cuts the covenant. And the Bible reports that a smoking flax, whilst Abraham was asleep, and a burning torch, God the Father and God the Son, came down from glory and walked in between the parted halves, and God the Father cut a covenant with God the man. In other words, Abraham, you have no work to do in this covenant. I will perform this covenant entirely by myself upon you and your generations. I promise I'm going to bless you. And because the blessing is going to be too much for you, I promise that I am going to multiply you in multiplying. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Abraham, I know you're struggling with the promise, so I'm going to seat the promise on an agreement. So the promise uh, gives me faith, uh, but, but the, the agreement gives me guarantee. So that no matter what, it is going to happen. I don't know what he's been saying to you lately, but I want to tell you, if it is based on the Abrahamic covenant, it is going to happen. Amen. That's how everything in this ministry has happened. Amen. It's based on the covenant, not upon a man, because you are too frail, too weak, 
too much of a flawed person, so he cannot cut the covenant with you. He has to cut the covenant between perfection, the father, and perfection, the son. Here's Abraham, every day of his life, from when he was born, they call him father. And yet, he has no child. And the only child he was able to sire as father, Abraham, 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 the son of the bondwoman and her child. Yeah? Then God says, I'm changing your name. You are no longer father. You are now father of many nations. Which kind of God is this? I've been trying for 20 something years and now, or 15 years, now you are changing my name from father. It's already an embarrassment. I have no child and they're calling me father, father, father. Everywhere I go, father, father, I have no child. General, 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 I have no army. But I was almost going to lament with Abraham, Abraham, when God changed his name to father of many nations because I thought that God could lie. Dr. Adelusi, could you stand? Dr. Adelusi is wearing a light blue plaid suit. If God comes here now and says that suit, or if I come here and I say that suit is white, how many of you that is a lie? The Bible didn't say God does not lie, even though that is true. It said God cannot lie. So if God now shows up and says that suit is black, in order to protect his integrity, without which he is no longer God, his power has to go into operation as to the appointed time when his determinations had decided that that suit is black. And the suit, by that time, will become black. That's how it works. That's why it is written concerning him that he calls those things that are not as though they are, and they will become what he called them. What is God calling you? What is he saying about you? How has he called people to address you? That is how it's going to become. Hallelujah. Oh, you don't hear me what I'm saying. And you'll get a hint of what God is doing in your life by the things he expects from you. If he starts expecting you to give out 10 million naira, 2 million dollars, and yet you can't count 20 naira in your bank account, it means he sees you as a rich woman or a rich man. In other words, your impossibility is his arena of movement. That's how I've chosen to live the rest of my life. I don't care how impossible things are or how difficult the situation is. I, I care not about it. What I care about is God. Give me spiritual sensitivity to hear what you are saying because I know that you only move in contradistinctiveness to the horror of my situation. And I would rather believe you than it, otherwise I'm a dead man. So when people think that you're doing or what you're doing is impossible, they laugh at you. But I want to promise somebody here that God is going to make them laugh with you soon and very soon. <laughs> so you're still asking the question, why is he talking to me? And then now he's swearing oaths to, to assure me that what he promised is really going to happen. Yet everybody voted you the least likely to make it, the most 
unattainable, the real nobody, the underachiever. Everybody has voted you the louse and the loser. And yet in the middle of your crisis, God runs to you and says, run with me. And once God enters into an agreement with you, the devil cannot kill you anymore. The devil cannot stop you until the agreement and its promise comes to pass. Let me make it plainer for you. Isaiah prophesies, if you know the timing of his prophecy, he prophesies to Israel before they go into that Babylonish captivity. It was horrifying. They were, the men were neutered, their women were raped. Uh, not one stone was left upon another in their homeland and they were carted away on, on their horsebacks facing the burning city of Jerusalem with their tongues nailed to their chins because Nebuchadnezzar wanted to scare them from the departure in their dislocation. And uh, Isaiah prophesied to them before the captivity happened that the captivity is going to happen. And also before the captivity happened, he prophesied to them, you will go into captivity, but you will come out into peace, plenty, and prosperity. So that means when you go into the trouble, you can rejoice, not about the trouble, but that the prophecy came to pass, and that means the next prophecy too is going to come to pass also. Can I get a witness from somebody? That means, friend, you are coming out of that trouble. It ain't going to last forever. It's not going to be around for always. Trouble will also pass. Who, who is this for? Because when you go into it, it can be so horrific. And unless you have a revelation that this too will pass, and when it passes, I'm coming into new glory. I'm coming into next levels. I'm coming into stupendously ridiculous blessing and favor. Are you here, somebody? that God is just using the situation to show the enemy that what you call impossible is my arena to move and do my pleasure upon my children. Are you here? So that instead of being despondent in the captivity, you rejoice and again you rejoice. That means, friend, at some point you have to do like Jesus and say, get thee behind me past and wipe your past out and say, you have no business in my present or in my future. I believe God. Let's try that. I want you to shout at your man and say, past. Past. Get the hell out of my life. Oh, you didn't say it like you really mean it. That means some of you don't have a past. Some of you, your past is not threatening your future. Some of you, the poverty of yesterday, the pain of yesterday, the scandal of yesterday, the shame of yesterday isn't so bad. That's why you can handle it. But there are some of us, if our past is allowed out of the cage, we're going to be dead moronies. So we ain't taking this lightly. Come on, right now on the count of three, command your past to get out of your life. One, two now speak in your heavenly language and be aggressive with the spirit because some of these demons they only understand what you say to them in their language and command those hell whores to get out of your world to depart from your future put a line there and let them know that the agreement together with the promise have 
blocked out the past and they declare that the old you is over and the new you has begun it is written in the scripture behold if any man is in Christ all things have passed away and now behold Abraham you are no longer Abraham you are now the father of many nations and any moment from now the proliferating seed is going to be consumed out of your loins into your wife's womb the promise on top of the agreement is a blocker it separates the old you from the new you it puts your past behind and your future is secured by his promise and guaranteed by his agreement his covenant God doesn't have to bring it to pass yet but you have to patiently believe him that it's really going to happen and so here is Abraham, he's sitting in the heat of the Palestine uh, at his dormouth. He doesn't initiate what is about to happen. In fact, he is exasperated. He has been through all kinds of hell in his waiting period. And we know that he is now dead enough. But he wasn't dead enough before because at 11 years into the promise, uh, his wife was able to convince him to go into his housemaid and sire a child on her laps that would be the child of promise but God was never going to accept that and Abraham had these moral character issues where he never really treated his wife correctly and always treated her only like a sister and not like a wife that when he went through towns and countries and kingdoms he was very happy to dismiss her as a sister and give her over to another king's harem and there is poor Sarah climbs up into Abimelech's bed because he had summoned her and she knows that God is going to deliver her. And she knows that while she's laying down in his bed, before he's able to do anything, God will slap him so hard upside the head and say, if you touch the womb that will carry the four beers of my son, you will die this night. And when Abimelech was about to do what men do, uh, God got him by the scruff of the neck. I said, don't try it. Abimelech said, Abraham, are you trying to kill me? God, your God. God doesn't only reveal himself to you. He reveals himself to your enemies. Your God told me that if I touch this womb, I'm in trouble. He said, carry, go. Please get out of town. Go on your surgeon. Hallelujah. And, and Abraham didn't do this once. This was his mother. And eventually, in old age, when things are a bit e not so easy, he now realizes he needs his wife. And Sarah herself has come to the end of herself, and she came to that end long before Abraham. Abraham didn't die out reproductively until some long time after Hagar. But now he is knocking on 100 years. There's nothing happening there. Yeah? And it is at this point in time that God comes to meet him at his house. God is coming to your house. He's coming to where you live, where you operate, where your real life is, where your wife is asking you questions, all these promises that you said God promised you. That I, 25 years, Abraham, you, and this your God, and that today lie. You hear what I'm saying? And God shows up, and he, Abraham shows his hospitality and 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 god now after hospitality that's so why you have to learn to be hospitable to god they entertain angels unawares the bible says said by this time next year 
According to the cycle of life, your wife, he asked where she was, your wife will bear a child. She will be with her son. He named the gender. They didn't need scan. Yeah. Sarah heard it. She didn't laugh out loud. She just thought laughter. Inside she said, God heard it. He knows your attitude, but your attitude doesn't stop him. You hear me? He knows your attitude, but your attitude cannot stop him. And he said, why did Sarah laugh? Is anything too hard for God? I want to preach to you for a moment and I'll get out of your way. Is that house too hard for God? Is the pay raise of incremental cash flow into your life, is it too hard for God? For God to remove all the troublemakers around you and replace them with the best, is it too hard for God? That trouble some relationship in your office, is it too hard for God to deal with it? Those enemies who have camped themselves like they did around David, is it too hard for God to dissipate them? Is it too hard? The breakthrough you need, is it too hard for God? The child you're trusting God for, is it too hard? Not for your gynecologist or your obstetrician. Is it too hard for God? That thing that would change your life and make it the complete replica of the promise he gave, is it too hard for God? God didn't leave Sarah to answer that question. He had chosen that within a year, I will answer it in the fullness. Within three months, I will answer it with conception. There's normally a conception before there is the precipitation. You must conceive first. That's why you are here today. Hallelujah. Feel God. You see, God likes to stack the odds against himself. Which means he wants the situation to become ripely impossible. And when it's at its most impossible, that's when he steps in. Because that's where he will shine at his best. That's why, friends, I plead with you. Don't become exasperated as the situation goes from bad to worse, worse to most impossible. Just keep your faith. Keep the faith. The faith will not disappoint you. Its hope will not make you ashamed. You are about to step into the most ridiculous season of blessing and multiplying in your life. Don't worry about what you see with your five senses in the nation's economy, the nation's situation and circumstance. Don't worry yourself too much about it. Worry more, be more concerned about your revelation and hold fast onto it. And God is so faithful that when Abraham was waning in his faith, he would show up at the right time and talk to him, remind him of the promise, guaranteed with an agreement. Because that's how you build champions. So, in his spirit, he keeps hearing this gargantuan God who he senses to be as mighty or mightier than he seems to be and believes him against all odds. God likes the odds. 
to let the enemy pilot on. Give me your worst because by the time I bring my boy through this, I want my boy to know that with me on his side, he can do anything. That he too will become one who moves in the impossible because he will learn to move in me. In him we live and move and have our being. You get it? Get ready for a ridiculous blessing. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful week. And I want you to go on to your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday with expectation that God, who moves in the realm of the impossible, is about to do something ridiculous in your life. So stop looking at what can be. Look at what cannot be. Stop looking in the realm of the possible. Start looking in the realm of the impossible.